Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Acts chapter 17 is where we're at tonight, and we're continuing our series, Church on Fire. Someone say, Church on Fire. And uh, we are learning how to be a long-lasting and impactful church, not to just be a trend that comes and goes, but how can we sustain this thing and be impactful for a lifetime to come and beyond. And last week, we saw the importance of knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel. We saw the Apostle Paul's his message and his method that he used in order to take this thing on the road, if you will. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is, it is the way in which it's sort of the entrance point for us that are far from God to enter into close relationship with God. Uh, the, now, the, the statement far from God, um, the reality is, is you can't escape the presence of God. The psalmist would write that there's no place to go on earth, in heaven, or in hell that you could escape the presence of God. Um, so God is kind of everywhere. But through our decisions and through our life, we can actually be, in a sense, spiritually far from God. The, the, the Bible talks about that we were dead in trespasses and sin. But then through faith in Jesus Christ, we who were dead in sin come alive in Christ Jesus. And now we can be close to God. And salvation is sort of the entrance point into close relationship with God. But not only is the gospel the power of God unto salvation, but it's also something we must continue to allow to shape us. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 9, and I have no verses back there. I meant to do it, and I forgot to do it. So it's not on the screen, um, but it is in the notes on the events section of the Bible app. So if you use version and you click the little lines that say more, I do this every week, and you click events, all my notes are there, so you can follow along there. Or you can write it down. Uh, Luke chapter 9 says this, Jesus speaking. If anyone would come after me, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So there's not only an access point into relationship with God through faith in Jesus, but there's also a daily surrender to the will and plans of God. So there's, a, there's an access point. I, through faith in Jesus, I can have right relationship with God. But then daily, Jesus would speak of taking up your cross. This is an idea of surrender or submission to the plans and will of God. And follow after him. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Not only does the gospel save us, but this is sort of the message title and the thought. But how does the gospel shape you? Or how the gospel shapes you is what we're going to talk about tonight. Acts 17, beginning in verse 5, this is where we left off last week. It says this, but, someone say but, the Jews who were not persuaded, so they don't, they don't believe, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now pause for just a moment. Okay, so these people, they're envious, they're upset, they get an angry mob. Um, I love that the religious leaders resort to, like they literally go out to where the criminals hang out and they gather a group of people and they're like, let's go attack the Christians. Like they're religious leaders, but they're like going like out, I don't know where the criminals hang out, the marketplace apparently. And they're like, hey, come Come, come with us. It's just kind of funny. Anyways, um, they, they get this angry mob, and then they attack the house of Jason. Now, it's funny. Um, Jason is, is mentioned right here like we know who it is. This is the first time we hear this guy. It's like so bizarre. It's like, you know, the Jason's house. You're like, ah, yeah, Jason's house. 
Who's Jason? Literally, we have no idea. It's just Jason's house. Most people assume this is where Paul and stuff were staying um, while they were there in Thessalonica. Um, but it's just like they're at Jason's house. They attack Jason's house. They're like, ah, we're mad. Let's go to Jason's house. Um, so they go there. Uh, and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. Listen to this quote. These, speaking of Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy and Luke, who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then, verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were, the Bereans, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, there's that weird language again, rather than just saying like a bunch of Greeks, they say not a few of the Greeks, all right, Um, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So we see two different responses to the gospel, right? We see the gospel is preached. The message of Jesus, anybody that is far from God can have close relationship with God through the access point of faith in Jesus. And we see two different responses. One group starts an angry mob, right? Seems reasonable. Like, I don't like that information. Angry mob. The other group starts searching for themselves. And listen, whenever we're confronted with the gospel, the message of Jesus, we have the opportunity to respond to it in faith and obedience or frustration and dismissal. Those are the options. We can respond whenever we're confronted with the word of God. We can either accept it with faith and obedience or we can dismiss it in frustration. And in their responses, um, we see two things that happen to us and our course of life when we're challenged by the word of God. Because that's essentially what's happening. The gospel is preached and it's challenging their worldview. It's challenging how they do life. It's challenging what they think is important. They're confronted with the message of Jesus because the message of Jesus confronts our way of thinking. And so they're confronted with it, and then they have two responses. They they respond in a way. And whenever we're confronted with the word of God, and as you open God's word, oftentimes it confronts you. Right? You're like, I think something's good. I think something's important. I think this is the way my life should live. And then all of a sudden, confronted with the word of God. That's essentially what Ali shared with us tonight. We've got culture telling us one thing. We're confronted by the word of God. Right? We, we have a priority or, or we have a, a way of thinking that our, our teachers tell us or, or, or social media tells us or our experiences tell us. And then we open up the word of God and it confronts it. It says like, wait a second. Because God's ways are not our ways. God's plans are not our plans. The things that he does and the way he moves are not the way that we move and the things that we do. And so it confronts us. And so then what do we do then when we're confronted with the word of God? How do we respond? 
We see a couple of things. The first thing is this, upside down. That's my point, upside down. We're told that the people in Thessalonica accused the Christians of turning the world upside down. And they say this is a negative thing. They're, they're saying they're breaking something that was perfectly fine. They're saying that our world was good just the way it was. And then the, these Christians come in, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and these, these followers of Jesus, this dude that got crucified in Jerusalem, this, their follow, his followers, they come in and they're breaking their perfectly fine system. And the world as they know it is shifting as a result of the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, the gospel is a message of peace and hope. But it's a message that confronts every part of the human experience and forces a response and a change. The gospel is a message, hear me out, of hope and of peace and of life and of purpose, and identity, and of eternity. The gospel is, is, is the, the best news the world has ever heard. But listen, it is a gospel that forces confrontation, and it forces change. Jesus says, this is the, the words of Jesus. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, you know the life of Jesus. He's the exact opposite of, of a life of a sword. In fact, some people go as far as saying that Jesus is a pacifist. Some of his language is that if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek and let them hit you on the other side. So Jesus was kind of like the opposite of a sword. What he's saying is his message confronts the world system. His message is in complete opposition of the course and the flow of the world that we live in. And so when we're faced with the message of Jesus... That is a message of hope and peace and identity and purpose and all of the rest. It forces confrontation and it causes change. And when we encounter the word of God and the message of Jesus, it turns our world upside down. Now you can argue that it actually turns it right side up. But the reality is that your life must change. Now a couple of things that it changes. The gospel changes our allegiance Look there at verse 7. Listen to their, their sort of accusation. It says, and these, they said these, they've turned the world upside down, and they're all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. I love this because in their, their like fear and in their like insult, if you will, it's actually like a beautiful compliment. Isn't it? Like here you have these guys coming in and they're like, these guys like shaking. Like I imagine like knees knocking together. They're like, oh no, these people that have turned the world upside down. What a compliment. Like it's only been a few years since Jesus' ascension and already they're like, these guys have flipped the world as we know it upside down. And then they say that their allegiance is to another king and his name is Jesus. Man, the gospel is, is clear here. It's not just a message of like, hey, get into heaven. It's a message of a new king and a new kingdom. And no longer are they living for King Caesar. They're living for King Jesus. Now, let me just say, following Jesus makes you a better citizen of earth. It does. It, it, the, 
I mean, you should be more compassionate. You should be more peaceful. You should be more obedient. You should be more trustworthy. All of these things are great things. It makes you a better citizen of earth. But the reality is, is you serve a king that's not of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so there's the reality of it. Yeah, it makes you a better, like, person on planet earth. But it's deeper than that because we serve a different king. When an entire world is following and serving the flow of culture, we serve a different king. We don't have to follow the trends or behaviors or thoughts of the culture, the world that we live in. Because we are citizens of heaven. We don't serve ourselves. We don't serve the culture. We don't serve a country or a government. Our allegiance is first and foremost to King Jesus. And so the gospel, it confronts, it flips upside down our allegiance. The second thing, the gospel changes our ambitions. Priorities change when we have relationship with Jesus. The driving force behind what most of the world does is to kind of boil it down is like money, fame, influence, or relationships. Right? I mean, the driving force behind most of the things that humanity does is either it's going to make me rich, it's going to make me known, it's going to make me powerful, or it's going to connect me with other people. That's essentially it. And so it's driven, the motivation primarily is driven by, by self. This is not the driving force of a relationship with Jesus. It's service, it's community, it's glory to God. And, and not only does what we live for change, but why we live for things change. Where the culture says serving self is going to get you ahead, the gospel says serving others will actually make you impactful. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 20. Jesus called them to him, his disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That, that Jesus flips everything upside down and says, If you want to be great, you, you, you become a servant. If you want to have influence, you serve other people. If you want to be important, look out for others. Jesus flips the whole thing upside down. The third thing that I would say is the gospel changes our relationships. I love that it says that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It isn't just one person, it's a group of people. Our relationships, the people that you surround yourself with, should be the kind that push us towards Jesus and serving him. Now, we're talking about, in this context, we're talking about a few people with a simple message, and now they are dramatically accused of flipping the world upside down. It's almost comical, right? Like, I imagine Paul and Timothy and Silas and Dr. Luke, who's writing everything down, being like, us? Like the, these religious leaders in the town of Thessalonica are like, oh no! Like these guys. And they're like, us? Like Paul's like, me? The four of us are being accused of flipping the world upside down. Now, in the next hundred years, Christianity is going to go from a small margin of people meeting illegally underground in homes to an accepted and legal religion in 313 A.D. Two, 
So it'll go from illegal, margin, underground, to accepted, tolerable, we'll allow it, to 10 years after that being uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire. So at one point, it was Caesar is king, Caesar is God. Christian, Christians are being murdered because they don't worship King Caesar to shortly after them going, all right, we'll allow it. It's fine. It's cool. To 10 years after that saying, okay, Christianity is now the official religion of the Roman Empire. And most people, most scholars say that it was actually a political ploy for the emperor to name Christianity the official religion um, because the most of the people in the, in the empire were Christians. And so they're saying, like, if we're going to stay in charge, we actually have to make this shift to continue political power. That was the type of impact Christianity was having on the world back then. It's pretty remarkable. How did it start? Well, a few guys. A group of people encouraging one another to take the gospel to places it's never been before. A few friends that were like, do you know what? I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to do what's right. And I'm going to make an impact on the people that are around, the, around me. And my challenge to us is who are the people that you surround yourself with that will encourage you and charge you to go and make an impact where you're at right now? Do you have, do you have a Silas and a Timothy and a Luke or a Paul that encourages you and fires you up to say, do you know what? Let's turn this world. Let's turn this classroom. Let's turn the school. Let's turn this team upside down with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it's funny. It's almost comical. Like when you think about your classroom, you'd be like, we could never do that. You know what I'm saying? Like you think about your, like your, your classmates. You're like, there's no way. Think about these guys. In Israel, a nation nobody cared about, it, under Roman occupancy, and just going like, let's see what happens. And pretty soon, a couple hundred years later, the, the gospel has completely transformed the world as they know it. Why? Because a few friends said, maybe. Let's see. The gospel changes our relationships. The gospel turns you upside down. The second point is this, inside out. First is upside down, second is inside out. Now, there's a second group of people that heard the gospel. They weren't afraid, they were intrigued. They began, we're told, to turn the scriptures inside out in order to discover more of it for themselves. If the gospel turning you upside down speaks of change, Turning the gospel inside out speaks of growth. If you've received the gospel, listen to me, follower of Jesus, Christian, if you're here tonight and you believe in Jesus, listen to me. It is now up to you to invest in your relationship with God. So how do we do that? Well, this sort of template of the people of, the, of Berea is actually a really good way to follow it. The first thing we're told is that they believed. Believing in God is something we must do initially for salvation, but it's also something we have to do daily where we choose to believe God. Right? Because like we've been saying this whole night, there's things that confront our worldview, and sometimes our situations or our feelings or our circumstances say something other than what God has said. Right? That's just the world that we live in. We're like, God says this, and the world says something else. 
And so they're, they're like at odds with each other. It's like face to face. We've got God's word, his plans, his ways in the face of culture or feelings or circumstance or what our mind tells us. And they're, they're, they're like this. They're at odds with each other. And so then you have to make a choice. Every single day you have to make a choice. Your choice is, do I listen to feelings, circumstance, culture, emotions, or do I listen to God and his word? And every day you have to choose to either place your faith in what you see or place your faith in what you know because of what God's word has said. That's a decision you have to make every single flipping day. Like, that's the reality. And today, like, you made that decision. Like, maybe the decision was, should I go to youth or not? You made the decision to come to youth. Tomorrow, you're going to be faced with a decision. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust feelings? Am I going to trust God or am I going to do what my friends tell me to do? Am I going to trust God or am I going to think like that every single day? You have to believe. You have to choose to put your faith in or your trust in God. The second thing we're told that they did is that they searched. They searched. We're told that people in Berea searched the scriptures daily to find out for themselves. They turned the word inside out for themselves. Listen to this. This is such a good line. If, this is gonna, if there's going to be like a quote from the message on the Instagram, this is going to be it. <clears throat> in order to turn the world upside down, you have to be willing to turn the word inside out. In order... Come on, I'm going to say it again. This is good. This is going on the Instagram highlight, I swear. In order to turn the world upside down, you have to be willing to turn the word inside out. In other words, you have to get in God's word and search in it, search for it for yourself. God's word wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. But in order to find it, you got to open it. In order to hear it, you got to listen In order to see what God is saying to you or hear what God is saying to you, you have to be willing to go to the place where God's going to speak to you. And so these Bereans, they opened up God's word and they began to search and say, okay, God, is this what you're saying? Is this this what it's all about? Dive deep into God's word and discover for yourself what God is like and what he has for you. I think sometimes we feel far from God or we feel like God's isn't speaking to us or his voice is fuzzy or distant. And my question to you would be, are you in God's word? Are you opening it up? Are you, are you searching for yourself? And if you're not, I would say there's your answer. Because God is going to speak to you if you go, if you know where to look. All right, final thing, worship team, you guys can come up here. I am almost done. I've got like two final things, all right? So the last thing and then the other last thing. The first last thing is surrender. I love this. It says, they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. The idea of belief here, um, it, it's a different, it's a sort of different belief as the first belief. The first belief is sort of like a, a mental, um, uh, I was trying to think of this word when I was studying it today and I couldn't think of it. I don't know why I thought I would think of it right now. You know what I mean? Like I sat there for 10 minutes like looking blank ahead with my computer open thinking about this word and I couldn't get it and I thought I'll try it again right now maybe it'll come to me. It didn't come to me. Um, 
but it's like, it's not just like a mental ascent where we're like, okay, I understand. The, the surrender here, the idea of belief here is that they accepted what the word of God said. They accepted it and then they applied it to their lives. When the word of God speaks to us and, and he will speak to us through his word, when he does, we must accept it and we must apply it. Especially, listen, when the word of God confronts or corrects some previous idea or behavior. When God's word, because it's living and powerful, when it confronts some idea or some philosophy or some way of thinking or some behavior, and God's word confronts, it says, hey, buddy, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't behave like that. You shouldn't think like that. When it confronts us like that, we have to be willing to accept it and then apply it. When God's word confronts or corrects some previous idea of behavior, we have to accept it and apply it. I remember having a conversation um, when I was a kid with my dad. And he was telling me a story about um, when he was a kid. I can't remember the story. I wish I could. But he was telling me some story about life or experience when he was a kid. And when the story was over, I remember asking or stating this uh, afterwards. I said... That was when the world was black and white, right? He, he told me a story about when he was a kid, and my response was, oh, yeah, like when everything was black and white. Because I had the assumption, I had the understanding, because of old photos and videos that I'd seen, is that before my time, everything was in black and white. You thought that too? That, that like life before us, like when we came onto the scene, everything burst into living color. But before that, it was all black and white and dull and dead. As I got older and probably after I made that statement, I remember him laughing and being like, are you serious right now? And I was just like little. And I'm like, yeah, everything was black and white. And he's like, no, like it's always been in color. Like life, is, I've always seen things. I'm like, really? That's crazy. But, but, when, but when my sort of my thought process or my belief system of everything was black and white prior to me was confronted with this reality of actually, it's always been color. Just photos used to be in black and white. Oh, that's really interesting. I had, I had, to, I had to believe different, right? I had to believe and behave different. I couldn't go around. It would be foolish for me as an adult to go and say like, oh, yeah, things used to be in black and white. You'd be like, no, photos used to be in black and white. People were never in black and white. You know what I'm saying? And so when this, when this old thinking was confronted with the truth of a new reality, it had to change my both belief and my behavior. When you are confronted with the gospel message, with the word of God, the truth, the reality of him and his word, and it confronts your way of thinking, we have to be willing to accept it and apply it. And to, okay, okay, God, this is the truth. This is the new reality. I'm going to receive it, and I'm going to walk in it. And we're told that these Bereans, they, they heard it, they searched it, they believed it, and they applied it. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're walking through, there is a truth in God's word that confronts our way of thinking, our way of believing, our way of behaving. And we have to allow God's word to impact how we see ourselves how we see other people, how we see the world that we live in. 
And I think, I think if, if we could just be sensitive to what I, I feel like God is doing tonight. I think sort of in my mind, this message was really a message about um, like confronting maybe sin or misbehavior. Um, I don't feel like that's what God's saying tonight. I feel like what God's saying tonight is that we have to, we have to allow his word to confront primarily how we view ourselves. And what we tend to view ourselves as is whatever the world tells us that we are. You failed, you're a failure. You've sinned, you're a sinner. You look like this, that means you're not that, or you'll never be this, or you, you, you think like this, and so you're this. And I think what God wants us to be reminded of tonight is we are only who he says we are. Only. That's it. Oh, yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, my, my list of sin is a mile long, longer than that. It's a thousand miles long. You probably write books and volumes that could reach the moon. And God says, that's not who you are. Pfft, erased. The Bible says your sin is thrown into the depths of the ocean. It's gone. Bye. Never to be seen or heard from again. It's gone. Oh, I, I, I worry. So that means I'm an anxious person or I'm depressed and I'm feeling like this and that's who I will always be. Nope, that's not you. God says you can have joy, you can have life, you can have purpose, you can have identity. It doesn't have to be you. You're like, oh, I feel, I feel this way, I feel that way, I feel overwhelmed by this, and that makes me that. It's just not true. That's just not God. That's not what he says about you. God speaks life over you. God speaks new purpose and new identity over you. Receive it. It confronts. <laughs> That's the problem. It confronts, and we have to accept it and apply it. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your